people that you met and spoke with, I want to know some, A, some really interesting answers to the question of who you wanted to be like, B, I want to know like some links that people went to to be like this person. Uh, hey, the reason I asked that question is, well, I'll, I'll share my answer first. So I was, I was thinking about this. One answer for sure for me was Indiana Jones. And I, I loved Indiana Jones. I don't know why I was so enamored with him. But I think it was just the adventure, like on a quest for treasure. And I'm just like hearing him yell, it belongs in a museum. But just like... I, I, for birthdays and Christmases, I finally like eventually amassed a collection of, I got the leather jacket, I got the fedora, I got the whip, and I was Indiana Jones multiple years in a row for Halloween. But then I started thinking about really, okay, that, that's one thing and he's a fictional character, but like, who did I really want to be like? And I started thinking about, okay, there's some basketball players I really love, like Dominique Wilkins, but I never actually like studied any athletes to try to like emulate them. And when I really started digging deeper, I was like, you know, probably the people that I put the most time in trying to emulate as a kid growing up was the cast members of SNL. And like, if you missed SNL, you had nothing to talk about at the lunch table on Monday. And I would watch and study and like the way that they spoke, their timing, their mannerisms, their different voices for their different characters, their physicality. And I would try to retell and recreate the skits, like sketches the next week as I was like talking with friends. But I was like, yeah, that's actually probably the, the truest answer for me to that question of like actually getting into trying to be like and look like and talk like and sound like these, these people. And the reason we're going here is because um, this is, this is our, our ser sermon series for the summer is it's called Apprenticing the Master. And, and it's born out of this idea that, um, you know, we're noticing about all of us, myself included, like as we are Christians, sometimes that word can mean different things. But when we go to scripture and we, we read about Jesus calling people to be his disciples, that always only means one thing. That always only means like actually coming and following me. And what we've fallen into, we could talk forever about all the reasons and pieces to the puzzle, but is that this understanding of what it is to be a Christian is just to believe certain premises, but that they have varying degrees of impact on our actual lives. Something about following Jesus or being a disciple of Jesus is only about information transfer. It's like taking a class. And so we come here and we, we learn things. That's why we're really drawn to sermons. We're really drawn to um, podcast sermons. We're really drawn to books. Um, those are the things that, those are the waters that we feel the most comfortable in. But then when we walk over here and we start talking about these other things like prayer and corporate prayer and the spiritual disciplines and, and thinking about the things that actually impact my everyday life of like what I say when I'm out in the world and what I do with myself out in the world and out in my week um, and how I think about my life, uh, 
that is less comfortable. And so this, this sermon series is, is born out of this desire to, to really take this summer, take this time together, and explore what it is to really dis, be disciples of Jesus. And to take, you know, today is an intro. We're talking about the concept of discipleship. But each week for the rest of the summer, it's going to be just this bite-sized piece of actual living, like components of what it is, pieces of following Jesus that are tangible, that, are, that it can be practiced, that can be put into practice. And, and we think about the word disciple, that's not a word that we use much anymore outside of this specific context. And I think the best word for disciple now, as it translates to our world, is the word apprentice. And that's why we're calling this apprenticing the master. But give me some, give me some answers to this question. What skills or vocations do you know of, just throw it out there, uh, where there are still apprentices, where people still apprentice other people? Electrician, what else? What? Glass blowing? What? Tattoo artist, sushi chef. Sushi, say that five times fast. What else? Doctors? What else? Jedis, yes. If there is an enclave of Jedis nearby, I would like to talk to you. Um, I'd be interested. I don't know if I'm too old. What else? What else do you apprentice? Carpentry. Okay, so all the things we just said. It's... I don't think anyone's going to argue with me that for all of those things, any one of those things, the actual being with and spending a lot of time with the master and the actual doing of things, practicing the thing that you are learning to do is essential, right? There is none of those things. The reason we have apprentices and not just classes on those things is because none of those things is it sufficient for you to just be handed three books and go read them by yourself, understand the concepts, and I was going to say, and then go try to do it, but what I think I'm going to say now is to read those books, understand the concepts, give those books a thumbs up, and then never move toward doing those things at all. And so that's why we're here. We're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not the expert here. Um, in fact, I was, I'll share more, but I was very convicted this week I'm like, am I a disciple of Jesus? So this is not me coming, speaking down to everyone else. This is me with you as your brother saying, like, I am I'm not necessarily doing great here either. And so the prayer is this summer, Jesus, would you help us actually disciple, be your disciples? Would you help us to follow you? Would you help us be your apprentices and just that, that you would bless these little, each week, just a little focus point, would you bless those efforts? And, and would you translate that into transformation and a deeper love for you and a deeper life with you? Um, and so that's where we're headed. And so we, we said uh, last week, talked about this idea of getting together in triads. That's a fun word. So threes are, threes are an important number, but uh, you can get together in twos or threes or fours. Um, or even fives, but <laughs> any number, <laughs> any square root, oh, no. Um, 
But the idea is that, you know, we're, we're breaking from groups for the summer so that you could get together with, like, other people, that this would be lived out, this would be a tangible, felt thing, and that you could find time. This is not homework. This is just a practice of getting together, grabbing coffee, going for a walk, whatever it is, and just each week we're going to give you a little prompt to, one, think about and process on your own, but also to think about and process in community and just talk with one another about that prompt. And, and you know, what is this like? What is the Lord um, bringing to your mind as you spend time thinking about this this week? Uh, I had a, a conversation with, I, w- I was actually working on my sermon in a coffee shop, and the woman who was, was taking my uh, order, I said, hey, this is a random question, but if you'll humor me, who in your life do you try to emulate? Like, who do, who do you want to be like? And she thought for a minute, and she said, uh, I think my older brother. And I said, okay, like, tell me why. And she said, well, because he has a plan to retire by the age of 35, and he's really good with finances. And I said, okay, yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing that. And she said, thanks, yeah, thanks for making me think. And I walked away from that conversation. I'm like, that's, you know, one, it was cool that she was honest and, and thought about that with me. But you know, that, that answer, I think, is really telling of like, okay, that, that is something, you know, to be financially independent, to be retired by the age of 35. Okay, that's, that's something you could aim for. I know if we pulled off the layers, there would be a bunch of roots in that of like security and freedom and things like that. We want those things. But you know, if we actually walked the paces and kind of explored what, what would that be like if you became like your brother and you became financially, um, you know, you were set for life at the age of 35, then what? You know, that's not a full enough answer for, for who we are as human beings and what we were made for. That's not enough. And then, and then her just response to say, hey, thanks for making me think. It's like, yeah, none of us are thinking about this. We're all just moving through life kind of in these, it makes me think about just going downstream in a river, like little paper boats on a river. And we're just kind of being carried wherever we find ourselves, the community we find ourselves in, the friends, the roommates, um, our job, the people we work with, the industry that we're in and kind of what's normal for that industry. All of these things are just shaping us. And so this place, this community that is Midtown West is one of those things that's shaping us, but without like a deep intention for following Jesus and apprenticing him, this is, and and all of the things that come with this is just one other piece of that puzzle, just another little rock in the stream that makes us go this way instead of that way. But we're actually still not necessarily disciples of Jesus. We're just being influenced by his teaching in some way, but that's just one of many waters, streams that's flowing in to make this river that's directing our life. And we actually don't know the answer of why are we doing the things that we're doing? What are we aiming for? And, and really, the, the question I think that we're all asking, we put different words to it, all of us, but is really, like, what is the good life? What, I, like, I want the good life. I want to live the good life. And that can mean shallow things like, you know, certain financial status or success, but it can also mean deeper things. Like, I want to feel good. I want to feel at peace. I want to have joy. I want to experience real love and deep relationships with people. But it's all this, like, the total package of, like, we're just looking for the good life. And if we knew 
of the good life within ourselves, where I'm going with this is we, we have to follow somebody. If we knew the good life in ourselves, then we wouldn't feel lack. We wouldn't feel anxiety. We wouldn't feel fear. We wouldn't feel worry. Um, our obsession with more information would wane. We need more information because we're trying to figure out what is the good life. And we're trying to lead ourselves there. And we're taking in little voices from everywhere, including Jesus is one of those little voices. And, you know, the, the people in our industry that we're trying to get ahead in, is, they're some of those voices. And our peers are some of those voices. But we're still the ones that are trying to lead ourselves there. That's why we're obsessed with information. That reveals that we're looking for something that we don't have the answer to. That's why our pursuit of different hobbies and interests feel frantic. Because I'm just hurried. I'm worried that I'm running out of time. I'm trying this. Okay, that's not it. I'm trying this over here. And it's this hurried pace of I'm, I'm revealing my life is screaming out. I actually don't know how to find the good life. I'm trying really hard, but it's, it's, I'm still the one in the cockpit. I'm still the one in the control tower trying to make all of this work. And so the good news is that we can come to Jesus and be his disciples. We can come to him and let him lead us. So in order for us to understand, uh, get the context that we need for this passage, we're going to have a little interactive um, history lesson from first century Galilee. Um, I need to find, let's see, I need... Josh, come on up, him. Okay, I need uh, Jory, come on up. And then, um, let's see. Let's go, uh, forgive me, but Spencer's dad, come on up. Yeah, I'm serious, come on up. <laughs> okay. okay, so... If everybody would stand up. Okay, Jory, if you'll kind of come stand in the front here. Okay, so uh, if we were in first century uh, Galilee and we were Jews, um, Jory is your rabbi uh, for primary school. So welcome everybody to school, Jory. Okay, so this would be sort of like the one-room schoolhouse. Like each, each uh, little uh, synagogue would have its own school. And so Jory is not a particularly famous rabbi. He's just a dude, you know. Um, and he is teaching all kids starting at age 5, going to age 5 to 12. This is called the Bet Safer or uh, Beth Midrash or the House of Study. And this is where from age 5 to age 12... Um, age five is the age that kids are fit for scripture. So like you can start learning scripture as a five-year-old. And get this, from ages five through 12, this is entirely Torah-focused. So the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that the Torah would be read and written down. And get, get this, by the age 12, we would have all memorized the Torah. Like, pretty much. That's amazing to me. Okay, so now, after you graduate uh, the school of Jory, uh, at age 13, you're considered a religious adult. And at this age, um, all of the girls would stop attending, like, the, the synagogue school and start helping out at home and start getting married 
and having babies. So if you're a woman, have a seat. Boys would begin to learn the family trade. And so uh, a, lot of, a lot of boys at this age would just leave the school as well and start learning the family trade. So uh, if, you're, if you're a guy still standing and your birthday is from May through the end of the year, if you'll have a seat. So these guys are all going to learn the family trade. Okay, so these guys that are left standing, Jory, um, you can go have a seat. Josh, if you'll uh, introduce yourself. You're going to be their rabbi. So this is secondary school. So this is males ages 12 to 15, okay? The best male students would go on to this school where they would memorize, I mean, y'all, this is incredible. They would memorize most of the Old Testament. They would memorize the writings, which are like Ecclesiastes, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and they would memorize the prophets. The focus, because the focus was the Torah first, now in secondary school, the focus is the writings and the prophets. This, they would begin to learn applications of the Word of God and also interpretations of the Word of God. There was Q&A instruction, kind of Socratic method kind of thing going on. And so that is secondary school. Okay, now, if you were... Uh, Beyond secondary school, this is called the Talmudim, and this is for ages 15 plus, but this is not for everybody. This is like the top gun school of like Judaism. This is only the best of the best, okay? So Josh, you can have a seat. Tell me your name again. Scott. Scott. Guys, Scott is a famous rabbi, okay? <laughs> and the people that were left... They would seek to follow him. It's like getting a prestigious internship, okay? So if you were born, uh, let's see, March through the end of the year, have a seat. Mm, okay, February to the end of the year, have a seat. Okay, this is who's left. Okay, if you guys would come up front. You four, five. Guys, this is the best of the best right here. Let's give him a hand. Okay, if y'all would just all kind of line up over here. <laughs> Trevor, you're the perfect person to be up here. This is a thank you, Lord. Um, so the deal here is Scott is not necessarily, Rabbi Scott is not necessarily from their hometown, but they know of him because these famous rabbis travel and speak. It'd be like, you know, the... Uh, just the famous pastors that write and theologians that write that everybody's kind of heard their stuff. Uh, they would apply and seek out to be a disciple of this rabbi. And so what that process looked like is you would go and you would ask if you could follow him. And then he would put you through a grueling interview where he would interview you about everything in the Old Testament applications, interpretations to see if you've got what it takes to follow him. And so, Daniel, you ask if you can follow him. No. Hey, Scott, Scott. Yeah, go have a seat. Ask him. Okay, and then you would say, follow me. follow me. And then you would go literally stand behind him. 
No, no, you're not done. Okay, ask him. Scott, can I follow you? No. Yeah. Scott, can I follow you? He's in. Okay. So, so literally, you guys, I mean, there was a blessing that say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Like, to follow this rabbi, that means for the next few years, they would be with this man and do everything that he did. They, would, they wouldn't necessarily leave for good, like they would probably be married, and they would maybe even have kids, but they would leave for these lengthy trips for like a month at a time, and be gone. They would eat, sleep, do everything together. It would just be a constant teaching, constant learning. They'd be with him. And the thing about it is, they would not just be trying to get, y'all can have a seat, thank you for this. Um, here's the big difference. They are not trying to nail this internship so that they can go get a prestigious job. They are not trying to get a passing grade. They are not trying to, do, to like master just the information. Their goal in following a rabbi like this is to be that rabbi. I want to say what this man says. I want to do what this man does. I want to be just like him. It's like me watching SNL. Like I want to study his mannerisms. I want to study the way that he answers questions. I want to study the way that he thinks, the way that he leads people through processing. I want to do what he does, be with him, be as close to him as possible, and be as much like him as possible. And at the end of this Talmudim process, Rabbi Scott, when he thinks it's complete, he would turn to his followers. Trevor would probably wash out at some point, let's be honest. But he would turn to Ben... <laughs> and he would say, you have become as much like me as possible. Now you go and make disciples. And then it would be over. And then Ben would now become a famous rabbi that travels and teaches. And, and I just thought it was really important for us to know this background into which Jesus speaks when he starts using this language that we're so familiar with, but maybe we're not as familiar with as we thought. So who's reading our scripture passages this morning? All right, Lindsay, come on up. Um, today, we're, we're going to be in three different passages, but we're going to start in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Father, uh, as we come to you, we are already worshiping you, and we continue to worship you. Lord, would you speak your word to all of us through me, and would it be only your word, Lord? Anything that I say that is not of you, that you would cause it to fall down and, and not be remembered. But Lord, the things that you want to say to us today, would we all just be completely captivated by those things? Lord, would they, would they sit in us? Would, they, would your words that you are speaking to each of us just sit in us and give birth to new life in our souls? And we ask this uh, in your name and in your power because it does require that. It's not something that we can do on our own. So Lord, we need your supernatural power to have our eyes open, to have our ears quickened, to have our mind quickened, to have a heart of affection that desires you. So Lord, would you do that? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I just want to, to highlight a few things from each of these three passages of what discipleship of Jesus looks like as we're sort of introing this concept for the summer. And so if we'll, we'll go back to... Um, the first passage there from Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. Jesus is walking by the sea. He sees these brothers, Andrew and Peter. He sees uh, them casting their nets. They were fishermen. And he just approaches them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately it says they left their nets and followed him. And then the same thing happens with the brothers James and John, sons of Zebedee. They apparently were working in this like fishing collective together. And it said they left their boat and their father and followed him as well. And so first, you know, bridging back to last week, we talked about Abraham. We talked about the effectual call that call, comes from God to his people. And when he speaks our name and the Holy Spirit quickens us, then we hear him and we respond and we come to him. And so, like, I, I, you know, we just walked through uh, the little history lesson here. Um, these, these famous rabbis, these traveling rabbis, they would have been approached by the Talmudim, by the potential Talmudim, the students that wanted to come and be their disciples. But Jesus flips this on its head because he, God, is always the one that speaks first. That's why we have a call to worship every Sunday. Because we don't start. Us showing up is a response. Us worshiping is a response. He is always the initiator. And so here, Jesus comes to them both in this power, but also this humility of of a famous rabbi was not walking around asking people, please follow me. But Jesus comes to these fishermen. These were not the top gun. (laughs) These were not the best of the best. These were not the best and the brightest from secondary school. They They were just normal people. And Jesus came to them specifically and said, follow me. And we see from the response, that was this effectual call from God. The Holy Spirit enabled them to receive this call, and they left their lives. They left what was known to follow him. And they, they may not have left him completely, but now everything became, they were radically disassociated from their former um, vocations and their former priorities because there was this new total commitment that now changed tra- and transformed everything. It was the lens through which they would see and do everything now was this being disciples of Jesus now informed how they would interact with the people in their life, how they would interact with the vocations that they had. He was their number one priority now. 
So he issues this call, and it's a call that he issues to all of his people. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. There's not this gap of like discipleship is, is for the people who are like some new version of the Top Gun Academy. It, it's just to someone in a, a reading that I read this week pointed out that the word Christian is only used two or three times in all of scripture, but the word disciple is used many, many times. Every, everyone that Jesus calls to himself to be his, to whom he is savior, he is also Lord, and it's, it's not that you can sever those things. Like if, if we are in Christ, we are disciples of Christ. And so, as I shared earlier, this was really convicting to me this week. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I spend time in scripture. It's, it's my calling, it's what I do for my work. But as I was reading this and thinking about this and praying about this, I thought, I don't, I'm like, Lord, am I your disciple? <laughs> Can I just think about like the way in which I think about my life and the rubric that I look at all of my life through and to remember this calling and commitment that this total commitment to be a, a follower, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus if I'm honest, most days that does not inform the decisions that I make or the words that come out of my mouth. And I, I was so thankful this week for just a, a chance to repent and remember and return and say, Lord, would you please change this about me? So I, I, I pose this to us as a body, not as a uh, worldly conviction, but Lord willing as godly conviction, like the kind of conviction that I experienced this week where it was not a shame of, okay, no, you've not been a good disciple. You need to go sit in a corner. But it is this conviction of like, oh man, that, that makes me sad that that has not been true. And it, it cultivates this new, deeper desire for it to be true to the Jesus who loves me, whose love for me will not change, and to go to him and say, will you change this in me? Will you give me a, a deeper desire to be your disciple? Would you show me more and more how to think about living this life, how to follow you and emulate the things that you do, the things that you say, and for that to actually be the thing that sets the course for my day, that I'm, I'm trying to listen to your voice, I'm trying to put practices in place that help me actually follow you. And it's different now, it looks different, because Jesus is not here in the flesh for us to actually live with and eat with and follow all the time, but the concept is the same because he is present with his people. He is present with us, and he is putting the same call on our lives. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He is the one who changes us. We do not change ourselves. He changes us, but, but he does so as we open our lives to him. He, he can't make these guys fishers of men if they show up about a third of the time that he is trying to teach them or trying to, to help, get him to help him do part of his ministry. And I'm not saying that in terms of like, you need to spend more time doing religious activity. That's not necessarily the case at all. You may need to spend less time but it's the whole idea of internally, the decisions that I make are informed 
by being a disciple of Jesus, and that is the number one priority in my life. And that changes the way that I approach my life. I, the call on us, it is our responsibility to come to him and to follow him and to be in his presence and to be open to him, and then he does the transformation. He makes us more like him. He makes us fishers of men. And it's interesting, this phrase, fishers of men, it, it does mean, it's, a, it's a, a play on words because these men were fishermen. But it also was a, a saying that was well known in the Jewish community of that's a, a fisher of men would be a rabbi whose teaching was so captivating that it would be like catching men in a net. And so he's saying, um, I'm going to teach you how to show the world a new way of living that is captivating because it's what everyone was made for. And as you follow me, and as you become like me, and as you call people to join you in following me, um, it will captivate people. It will captivate you because this is exactly what you were made for is this life with me. Luke 14, 28, Jesus encourages his disciples to count the cost before they come. Hey, don't just, don't just say yes. Don't let this thing burn off. Say yes and be pumped for a month. You know, you, I, I did a wedding yesterday for Andrew Pika and Amy Marino. And something that I say in those weddings, something that's a part of a wedding service is because of what this is, because you're entering into a covenant with God and this other person for as long as you both shall live and because of what it represents and because of how the Holy Spirit joins this union, it is not to be entered into lightly. It is to be entered into soberly. And so certainly the same holds true for being a disciple of Jesus. Don't just say yes, really stop and think about this. Do you want to be like Jesus so much that it will be the controlling force in your life? Or not? It is total commitment, but it is a, a total commitment that is beautiful, and it is a total commitment that, you know, Jesus is no hypocrite. He never asks us to do something that he hasn't done first. John 15, 13 through 15 says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. And in John 5, 19, Jesus also says, the son can only do what he sees the father doing. He was a disciple, so to speak, Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And so Jesus is saying, I know what it is to be a disciple. I have followed my Father to, the, to the, the deepest, darkest ends of obedience. I have followed my Father's call in my life to the cross so that I could bring you life. So that you could not only be my disciples, but you could be my friends and my brothers and sisters. Because me following him because of his great love for you, him calling me to the cross, because of my great love for him and my great love for you following his call to the cross. Now, all that separates us from God has been put on our Jesus and has been dealt with. So now there is nothing that separates us from him. In Christ, we are friends of God 
we are also sons and daughters of God, and we are also the bride of Christ, and he comes and dwells in us and makes his home in us. The love of the Father and the love of the rabbi. So as we think about, yes, this is a total commitment. Yes, this has to be the one thing that drives our lives, and everything else is seen through the grid of this one thing. It is a gift, and it is freedom. So this passage from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, you know, rabbis invited people to keep the Torah by, by calling it the yoke of the Torah. And Jesus is saying, you know, you know, there are all these different interpretations, and Jesus is saying, hey, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. And one of the reasons it's easy is because you don't have to sort out all the things that everybody else is saying. Everyone else out in the world who claims to be an expert, you just have to follow me. You just keep your eyes on me. You just stay close to me. That's all you have to do, and I will give you rest because that's easy. It's hard, but it's also easy because I, the kind of rabbi that I am, I'm gentle and I'm humble. And when you, when you come to me, I'm also the rabbi that, as we just talked about, has laid down his life for you so you know I love you, and my love is not going to change, so come and find life in me. It's not scary. It's not intimidating because of who Jesus is, or there's not this expectation that you get it perfect, or you have to meet a certain standard. Just come. Let me lead you. I will do all the transformation. You just open yourself to me. Now in Jesus, we only have one voice to listen to, and it's a humble and gentle voice. And that's freedom. That's the good life. We were labored and weighed down with countless responsibilities, cares, worries, anxieties, trying to be the one who led ourselves to the good life. Now that pressure is off. That's freedom. That's the good life. And what happens when we realize, like I did this week, like maybe you are right now, that I really haven't been apprenticing Jesus in the way that I should be, that is good for me. What do I do then? It's really simple. Don't think about Jesus as a concept. Think about Jesus as a person. That's what he is. And think about this person who's given his life for you and for me and who loves you and whose love is not changing, who calls us and he knows who we are. He knows that we're dust. He knows that we're weak. He's the one that invited us. We didn't invite ourselves. So we can come in that knowledge and know that he kind of expected it, right? And all we have to do is remember and return and be like, oh yeah, that is what I was made for. Lord, would you lead me back to that? So there is no shame that separates and distances. As we find ourselves saying, you know what? I've actually been building my life for the last week, for the last month, for the last year whole life around something other than being a disciple of Jesus, okay, we just come to him with that and say, Lord, that's true. Will you change that in me? I'm remembering now, and now I'm, I want to follow you. And he's, he's not going to kick you out. He's going to say, all right, let's go. That's freedom. That's the good life. And just a couple things on this, this passage from Matthew 28. 
You know, this, this is the end of discipleship, is becoming like Jesus and inviting others to become like Jesus with us. That's what discipleship is. Sharing with them what we've learned so far. But unlike other rabbis, um, our rabbi is not going anywhere. He says, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So our life now is a little bit different from the, the Top Gun Academy. It's that we are never finished apprenticing Jesus until he returns. And there's never a time that he separates himself from us and we're off on our own. We are always apprenticing him. He dwells in us. He is leading us always. And we are leading others. We are, we are at the same time, it's not divorced like it used to be of apprenticing him and then we're completed and then we start apprenticing other people, having them apprentice us. Now that's happening always at the same time. So even if you've only known and been following Jesus and apprenticing him for a week, you can have people apprenticing you as you follow him. And if you've followed him for 40 years, you're still following him. You're still apprenticing him. There's still things to learn. Okay. So this is the journey we're on for the summer. So if, if you throw the prompt up, Uh, this is also going to go out in the weekly email, but if you want to write this down or just take a snapshot. This is a, a prompt and a prayer. It's for us to just go sit on our own and spend time with him asking this question, see what he brings to our mind. Also to spend time with each other, sharing, talking, discussing this. What is, what is he putting on your heart? Sharing what he's put on my heart. And then this is our prayer. Remember, we don't change ourselves. This is not a do better. This is a just have him help us see where we are and lead us from here. And he will because he is faithful and kind and good. And then we've also, we've got this um, email address that we've set up and we want to use it this summer and just invites you to think about using, like sending an email to this email address as maybe like a journaling exercise. So just as you feel led, as you see God moving, as you hear God speaking to you, that you would just um, shoot us an email and just share a story of how he's moving and how he's working. And um, yeah, we, we may uh, collect those and not, not reveal identities, but just as a way to encourage one another. Okay? All right, I'm gonna pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, calling us. Lord, thank you that we're, we're not elite. We don't bring anything to the table except a deep need for you. But you have called us. There is no ordinariness. There is no lack. There is no weakness that keeps any one of us from you. Your call goes out to all of us to follow you. The invitation is open. And Lord, we desire to accept the invitation. We desire to follow you more and more closely and be transformed by you and to allow you to lead us to the good life. So Lord, would you do that um, this week as we go? In Jesus' name, amen.